right, everybody. Welcome in to... Oh, there we go. All right. A little technical glitch there, but I think we are back up and running. My name is Connor Riley. This is Connor in coverage. I don't have any of my lower thirds properly loaded, of course. But we do this every Tuesday night, talking the latest in Georgia football, Georgia news, Georgia recruiting. We just wrapped up a big month of June, or essentially about to wrap up. We're back on a dead period now. Uh, high school recruiting p- dead period. Players, coaches, they're all on vacation, taking sort of this week off and next week as they sort of get ready to start gearing up for the second half of summer workouts. They just had a big recruiting month with official visits every weekend. So sort of transitioning away from that until what the rest of the summer looks like. Talking season is really going to heat up, I think. As you've already sort of started to see these preseason All-American teams trickle out. You had a coaching list trickle out today. A lot of talking points over the next couple of months, which I think is good for us. Just gives us more content out there to discuss. My name is Connor Riley. We're going to talk a bunch of stuff tonight covering a bunch of different issues. Uh, we'll start with JT Daniels, Emory Jones, sort of the difference between the two of them, why people are saying what they are saying about them and what I think that ultimately means going into what should be a very big 2021 season for both of those guys. You also then have uh, transfer portal. Essentially, tomorrow is the last day for players to announce to their current schools that they are entering the transfer portal. So we look back at sort of how Georgia has done with regards to the transfer portal in this, I guess, 2021 transfer cycle, if you want to call it. And at the end, we're going to talk a little bit about Gunnar Stockton. Obviously, I think some people here have seen the video circulating around on social media about Gunnar spending some time with Big Bear Alexander and what that might potentially mean, along with the fact that the Elite 11 passing finals are this week. It's usually been a huge barometer for how quarterbacks are doing or performing on the high school prep scene and Gunnar Stockton is not there. And and I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think it goes to show that Gunnar Stockton is a little bit of a different uh, cat and quarterback that Georgia is getting and bringing into their program. So a lot of stuff to talk to you about tonight. We'll answer some of your questions as well. I'm sure you've got a bunch, but without further ado, let's dive into our first topic today, which I did not expect to be talking about. We talked about JT Daniels and how he sort of stacks up among the all SEC quarterbacks a week ago. And then today, Pro Football Focus comes out with their own sort of rankings and list, and and JT Daniels is not on it at all. But I think more interestingly, Emory Jones is on that list. And, and, you know, obviously this is a Georgia-centric show. We talk about them a lot. We've spoken at length about JT Daniels. But I think the most interesting thing to me and where we're going to lead with tonight's show is the sort of debate or comparison between JT Daniels and Emory Jones, because I I do think as different as they are as quarterback prospects, and they are incredibly different, there are some similarities in their situations about how they are going to be viewed and looked at, I think, in this pivotal 2021 season. So let's just give a little bit of background on these guys. We'll start with Jones. Last season, 6.9 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, one interception, 56% completion percentage, did not start a game in 2020. Ran for 217 yards and two rushing touchdowns as well. I think a big reason why he found himself on the pro football focus list is because of his running ability, and he is a very good athlete and someone who I think Dan Mullen has shown in the past can get the most out of. You think back to Nick Fitzgerald there at Mississippi State. I think because of that, that's a guy who, again, this Florida offense is going to look very, very different this year. It's going to have to be tailored to Jones's skill set, which is obviously being a more run-first sort of uh, outfit and Florida might have the talent for that. They do bring in five star running, former five star running back to Marcus Bowman. They do have some talent there at the running back position, but I would also point out 
Last season, they couldn't run the ball that well, and maybe they put that on Kyle Trask a little bit, but they also had incredible wide receivers, which Jones isn't going to be able to throw to a Kyle Pitts or a Kadarius Tony, or even a Trayvon Grimes, who's a pretty solid third option. Now, they do have some options out there in terms of who they might be throwing to and who they can get the ball to, because they do have a guy like Jacob Coakland, who was a top 100 pick. They do have a, a guy in Justin Shorter, who was a five-star talent. They do have some talent there. Keon Zipper was a, a highly recruited four-star tight end prospect. But this Florida offense is going to look very, very different than from what it did a season ago. So what I find most interesting is that I think a lot of people feel comfortable making the projection about Jones, whereas you have sort of seen some people maybe not go quite that far with Daniels. And again, part of it is... Jones hasn't started a game yet, but he's been in that Florida program for a while. And to this point, we've sort of seen how he can be used. A guy who does have a big arm, not necessarily the most accurate, but a guy who can move around and is going to force Georgia to defend all 53 yards of the field, sideline to sideline, and then obviously front to back. But whether or not he, I think, makes the leap many people are going to think he is making is going to come to come down to how well he throws the ball. They play Alabama the third week of the season. They play Georgia the day before Halloween. I think as we showed last season, if you're going to beat Georgia and, or if you're going to beat Alabama or any real elite college football team this season, you're going to have to do it by throwing the ball. Georgia in particular, Jordan Davis is going to make life very hard for Emory Jones in that Florida running game. The Kobe Dean is as well. Quay Walker. While Emory Jones is an incredible athlete, and I have no doubt he'll be able to put up a bunch of rushing yards this season, you also have to feel pretty confident and comfortable with what Georgia has at the linebacker position. You know, he's not Christian Harris, but Quay Walker is a very good player and a very good athlete that I think is going to be someone who's going to be used to neutralize a guy like Jones. You think of Adam Anderson coming off the ends. He's going to have no problem tracking down Emory Jones from behind as he maybe tries to extend plays with his feet there. So with Emory Jones, I get it. I There is some pass pedigree there with Mullen sort of getting the most out of maybe physically limited passers or, or accurate passers and turning them into very good quarterbacks and very good offensive weapons. Whereas you look at a guy like JT Daniels and we'll pull his stats up here. Look, the Georgia fans obviously know who he is. 10.3 yards per attempt. That's the most of any returning power five quarterback, 10 touchdowns and just two interceptions, 67% completion percentage did actually start in 2020. Whereas Jones did not went four and zero in those games, but Unlike Jones, has none of the mobility. He is not a mobile quarterback. We did see some athleticism in the pocket a season ago, but if Georgia's going to win, it's because Daniels is able to consistently beat teams from the pocket. You're not going to move him around like you would move around, say, an Emory Jones. And so it's interesting to sort of see how one outlet, Phil Steele, values Daniels a little bit more, and that's just given that we've seen more of Daniels on the field, whereas Steele had Jones as a third-teamer, and then Pro Football Focus today comes out and has Jones as a third-teamer as well. This is a personal thing. I don't always put a ton of stock into pro football focus, and I can give you an example here. Justin Schaefer was named a first-team All-American for his performance last season, or based off his performance last season. They had Jamari Sawyer as a second-teamer. I think you ask any Georgia fan who is the better of the offensive lineman, they would tell you it is Jamari Sawyer. We talked about this on Dog Nation Daily this morning with Brandon Adams. You know, if Georgia's finding its best five, are we sure at the end of the season that Sawyer is one of those five? Because if you think Amarius Mims is one of those guys and you think Tate Ratledge is, those two guys are very popular players. If they're your best five, that probably means Mims is at left tackle, Sawyer is at left guard, and, and then you have Tate Ratledge there at right guard. So where is a home for a guy who is projected by some to be a first-team All-American? 
I don't put a ton of stock into pro football focus. For example, they had, I believe, Miles Brennan as either the first team or second team quarterback. It's not even guaranteed that he's going to start and beat out a guy in Max Johnson. So some of the numbers they use are a little fishy. And I think Georgia fans have a right in saying, hey, look, Emmy Jones could theoretically be a nice talent, but what has he shown you to this point that sort of warrants that? He got a lot of run in that in that Cotton Bowl game against Oklahoma, and to be frank, he didn't play all that great. Had a really bad interception where if you're a Georgia fan who's been online, you've seen, you've seen that play quite a bit. So it's interesting to sort of see maybe, you know, the national outlets hyping up a guy in Emory Jones a little bit where he is a much, in my opinion, a much greater unknown than a guy like JT Daniels, where you think by now we know the obvious areas where JT Daniels has to improve his deep ball passing. You saw in the game against Cincinnati, he's got to find a way to eliminate turnovers. He's got to learn to, Hey, it's okay to get rid of the ball quickly and have an incompletion and have a second and 10, as opposed to say a second and 17, he's got to work on taking fewer sacks. But I think we at least know what the strengths and weaknesses of JT Daniels game are right now. I don't know if we can say that about Emory Jones. And while some people use it as a good thing, I, I there are still a lot of questions about this Florida offense and as successful as Florida was a season ago where they did go eight and four, but they also beat Georgia and won the SEC East. If Florida is going to be successful in 2021, it's going to be doing the, what they did best last year, their offense, doing it in a completely different way. Now, Dan Mullen is a very good offensive court or offensive coach, I should clarify there. But does that necessarily mean that he's going to be able to completely re-engineer this offense in a way that, as we've sort of seen in recent seasons college football, if you're going to win – you're not winning necessarily by running the ball a lot and leaning on that ground game and relying on your defense because a Florida doesn't, I believe have the defense to rely on to sort of play that way. But if Florida, if, if, if teams winning in college football, it's because they're playing like Florida was in 2020 where they're spreading the ball around in the vertical passing game and getting the ball to their athletes downfield. That's what Georgia is poised to do this season. And, and I don't think Florida is in that same sort of way. They're going to try and beat you horizontally. Something Georgia tried to do in 2019 with Jake Fromm there at quarterback, and, and it just it really didn't work out all that much. Now, granted, Georgia didn't have the wide receivers that year, and I think Florida probably feels better about its pass-catching situation than Georgia did in 2019 there. So it'll be interesting to see how Daniels and Emory Jones sort of battle it out this season and where at the end of the season they end up being. Because I, I think Jones, if Florida is to beat Georgia this season, which I, they are not favored to do so, Jones is going to have to play really, really well and I clearly outplay a JT Daniels. Whereas if JT Daniels simply has a good game against Florida with all the talent that Georgia has over Florida, I think that'll be enough for Georgia to win. Whereas if, if Florida is going to beat Georgia and win the East and compete with Alabama this season, as they did a season ago, Emory Jones is going to have to be great. And Mike D brings up on YouTube, good thing he can run because he's going to be doing that a lot. And it, I would say as well, while there are obvious questions about the Georgia offensive line, there are similar ones about the Florida offensive line. It has not been a dominant group under Dan Mullen there. They just have not necessarily, I think, recruited the bodies needed to win at a high level there. So it'll be interesting to see how a guy like Emory Jones, who I think is very comfortable using his legs, how a you know not necessarily great offensive line is able to open up holes for him. Because I do believe if he's going to be successful, Florida's going to have to design some running plays for him over the course of the game. And they have a guy in Anthony Richardson who also played in that Cotton Bowl who at times look pretty capable. So, you know, Jones, well, yes, he's listed as a third teamer personally here. I wouldn't be stunned. And again, this is not a Florida insider or anything like that. It's just, just based solely on the cotton bowl. I wouldn't be stunned if a guy like Anthony Richardson sort of earns a shot this season because Emory Jones just isn't what he's cracked up to be. So it'll be interesting to see how all that sort of plays out. But 
again, I, I find it very interesting the juxtaposition of JT Daniels and Emory Jones and how the two are compared against each other. There are some people that think JT Daniels is the best quarterback in the SEC. Paul Feinbaum says as much. There are others who rely a lot more on metrics who want to see JT Daniels do a little bit more in 2021. And I think we're going to get that answered first game of the season there against Clemson because they're going to provide a lot of problems for this Georgia offense that first game. But that's going to be our first segment tonight. My name is Connor Riley. This is Connor in coverage. We do this every Tuesday, except not next Tuesday because I am on vacation next week. But we'll talk the latest Georgia football. Hopefully we're getting closer and closer to the season now. We are now single-digit Saturdays away from the start of the 2020 se- or 2021 season. Excuse me, Georgia Clemson, September 4th. We're getting closer and closer. Fall practice will start up in August. We'll have some real updates there, some guys making some moves, how the defensive backfield situation is turning out, how the offensive line situation ultimately gets settled, how Arik Gilbert is playing and performing. We're going to talk about him in a little bit here, but ton of news and stuff we're going to have covered. Obviously, SEC Media Days next month. We have a couple guys announcing their decisions, Kojo Antwi, Branson Robinson over the course of that month. So July, while it's, it's our last month, it's the last real month without football, there's still going to be a ton of news, so make sure you, you tune in and check out not just obviously this show, but uh, Justin Tellum before the hedges, Mike Griffith on the beat, and then cover four. But moving on to our second topic here tonight, we're going to talk about the transfer portal because I don't know how many people know this, but tomorrow is the last day. And if you're listening to this on podcast, we thank you for that. If you're listening to this on Wednesday or later, Wednesday, June 30th is the last day for players to enter the transfer portal and be immediately eligible for this coming season. Going forward, that deadline will be May 1st, but this season, because of how that legislation got enacted and when it came across the NCAA's desk, they sort of decided to extend the line a little bit there. So tomorrow is the last day for players to enter the transfer portal and still be eligible. So essentially what that means is barring any last minute surprises, most of the transfer portal additions are done at this point, or at least the big name movers are done at this point. So you have that out there. And I thought this would be a good opportunity to take a look back at how Georgia has sort of dealt with and navigated the transfer portal in this sort of cycle, end of the 2020 season and sort of into the 2021 offseason to see how players left and where they ultimately ended up and then where Georgia went to go sort of add to its hall of players. And we'll start with the players they lost first because I think that's maybe a little bit more telling. Georgia has 10 guys from its 2020 roster ultimately decide to enter the transfer portal. And these were guys that are all on scholarship. Dwan Mathis, who did leave before the end of the regular season, he finds himself at Temple. Tyreek Stevenson transfers back home to Miami. Major Burns ends up transferring back home to LSU as well. Uh, Trey Blunt, a wide receiver, goes to Old Dominion. Tommy Bush, a wide receiver, goes to North Texas. Jermaine Johnson, who did have an extra year of eligibility thanks to the NCAA, decides he's going to go use it at Florida State. Notori Johnson is heading to Middle Tennessee State. Wide receiver Makaya Tung is heading to Oregon State. Matt Landers is headed to Toledo. And then the latest, the latest addition, Demetrius Robertson, entered, I believe, at the beginning of June. He is still yet to announce where he will ultimately end up playing. But as you see there, 10 players on this list, by the quick math count, you have four that are going to power five schools, and then the rest are going to G5 schools. No one dropping down to the D2 level. But you have 10 players on this list, Two guys who are going to be starters in Stevenson and Johnson, I think, had they stuck around. Major Burns would have been a depth piece. 
the rest of those guys, specifically, you look at the list, half of them are made up of wide receiver. I think that goes to show you how confident Georgia is in this younger group of wide receivers where so many of these signees, you know, Trey Blunt at 2018, Tommy Bush is a 2018 guy, Makai, or Matt Landers is, a, I believe, a 2017 guy. Those guys transfer out of this program, I think, paving the way for younger receivers like an, like an Arian Smith, Marcus Rosemey, Jack St. Guys who are going to take a bigger jump this season. So the two biggest names there are obviously Jermaine Johnson and Tyreek Stevenson. Johnson straight up said he wanted to go be a star and be the, the pass rusher for Florida State, whereas at Georgia, he's rotating with Adam Anderson. He's rotating with um, he's rotating with Nolan Smith, MJ Sherman, Robert Beal. Georgia just does not necessarily play star-making defense because they want to play so many guys there. And then Stevenson, obviously, I think he would have been a, a, a starting cornerback for this team. But obviously, the allure of playing closer home to Miami, Stevenson maybe not always happy at Georgia with what he was asked to do in his first two years with the program. So you you understand why those guys ultimately make the decision that they do. Uh, Major Burns going to LSU makes a ton of sense. He was committed there in the process, sort of got number crunched there at the end, and now they have a spot for him, can be closer to his home, closer to his family. And so you understand why a move like that is made to where he can ultimately develop into a piece for LSU there. But I think Georgia, while they, yes, you do lose 10 players, only two of those, and maybe three if you want to count Burns, are real losses. And you look at the guys they went in to go get out of the transfer portal, I, I think there's a case to be made. At least the three that they have now are better than the player, or better than any of the players they lost. You bring in Tyke Smith first out of West Virginia, a guy who, for you know, as much as I knock Pro Football Focus, they have identified him as a first-team All-American, a guy who's going to play your star position for Georgia, and I think be a real difference maker on this defense and be a disruptive player in that secondary. Then you go out and you add Darian Kendrick from Clemson, a guy who's probably going to be your starting cornerback week one against those same Clemson Tigers. And then you go out and maybe the biggest name in terms of ceiling or potential is Avery Gilbert, who I will point out today, uh, there were a couple of people following along on social media, sort of explaining the backstory here. Uh, there were some people from Florida saying the grades were an issue for Avery Gilbert. That's why he didn't end up at Florida. There were some LSU people saying that there were some concerns about his grades there as well. Well, Kirby Smart tweets out a graphic today about the academic players of the week. And one of those academic players of the week is none other than Eric Gilbert. Uh, there are quite a few Florida fans that were mad. There are quite a few Georgia fans that uh, caught, I, I think this pretty clear trolling effort by uh, Kirby smart, maybe taking a shot at Dan Mullen, something he has had no issue of doing before, but to bring us back to our sort of main topic at hand here, Gilbert is a guy who, if Georgia figures out how to use him and maximize him to, to his potential, he's going to make this offense all the more dangerous. And then the fourth name on there is Brandon Turnage. I will point out, though, he's not yet officially on the Georgia roster. He had announced that he was going to transfer from Alabama to Georgia, but he's not yet shown up in Athens. There are some questions about whether or not he ultimately does end up at Georgia. But for the sake of this list, we are going to keep Turnage on there. So you look at the guys, Tyke Smith, Darian Kendrick, Arik Gilbert, Brandon Turnage. All four of those guys come from Power 5 programs. Three of those guys have legitimate starting experience playing huge roles for the team, specifically in the 2020 season. Tyke Smith is a guy who was a third-team All-American player last year by the Associated Press. Darian Kendrick has played in college football playoff games, and as it stands right now, he's the only player on the roster that can say that for Georgia. And Arik Gilbert, you know, 
a season ago, he was the number one ranked tight end in the in the 2020 recruiting class, the highest ranked tight end prospect ever. A guy who has the positional ability to play not just that tight end position, but wide receiver where Georgia is going to line him up. And I think hopefully use him in a way to replicate what George Pickens was able to give them. So you have a lot of talent there in those first three guys. And then you look at Turnage a little bit. This is a little speculation on my part. I think the addition of Turnage was a reaction to losing Burns and Burns going to LSU. I think that was the reason why you see Brandon Turnage on there and why there's still some questions and concerns about why he may end up there. Because at the end of the day, Georgia wanted a cornerback with starting experience, which is why they went out and they brought in Darian Kendrick. And, And so Kendrick is a guy who, yes, he's had his problems as we've highlighted here before in those big time games. But you know, that Clemson game, you probably feel a lot better, even with the track record that Kendrick has, throwing him out there instead of throwing out, say, Kimber, Jalen Kimber and Keely Ringo. You're probably looking to see one of those guys start that first game against Clemson, but you feel much better now with them doing it in the secondary with Lewisine, Chris Smith, Tyke Smith, who I think is going to be the best transfer addition that they've added so far. And then obviously Darian Kendrick there as well. You, those three guys, those first three guys, Gilbert, Kendrick and Smith, I think are all going to play valuable roles for this Georgia team in 2021. I don't know how big of an impact Gilbert is going to have in Georgia's passing offense this year. You could tell me he leads Georgia in receiving. You could tell me he's their fourth or fifth option. I would certainly believe any scenario in between those two things. It's going to be interesting to see how Georgia uses a guy like Gilbert because, again, we've seen, and I wrote about this today, you look at James Cook, how they use him. Darnell Washington is a popular player as well. How does he get used and utilized? These are not exactly straightforward, and Gilbert, I believe, falls into this category. Straightforward, easy-to-use players. You have to have a creative offensive mind scheming up ways to get these guys the ball in advantageous positions. I think Georgia showed they were able to do that a season ago with Cook in the later stages of the season and did it as well with George Pickens at times when he was healthy, especially once JT Daniels stepped into the starters role there. So there's a lot of talent while Georgia does see some of it leave 10 guys to the transfer portal, two potential starters. They go out and they add four players, three of which that I think have the opportunity to be big time contributors for this Georgia team in this 2021 season. I think that's the important thing to remember with the transfer portal going forward. Kirby Smart's going to look for guys who can help and step in and play right right now. I will note Tyke Smith is a draft eligible player. Darian Kendrick is a senior. And then Gilbert obviously has three years of eligibility left. I think going forward, the trend is still going to be for Kirby Smart to go out and add guys who fit more of the mold of Smith and Kendrick than they necessarily do of Gilbert. Gilbert is sort of the Moby Dick to Kirby Smart's Captain Ahab. Smart had always wanted a guy like Gilbert, recruited him very hard as a high school prospect coming out of Marietta High School, and just didn't get him the first time around and looked like he wasn't going to get him the second time around, but stayed patient, stayed on him, continued to show that, hey, Georgia's a place you can come in and succeed, and ultimately that's how he ends up on this roster. But going forward, Kirby Smart is still going to want to rely on high school players or recruiting high school prospects to build out this team. He's going to use the transfer portal, I think, to to, to add to the edges to help shore up some of these small deficiencies that you have. And you look in the secondary, I think that pretty clearly shows, along with the comments that Smart had made during the 2021 spring practices, that the secondary was a pretty big concern, just not just in terms of, of experience, but in terms of the bodies they had back at there. If you look at the offensive line, while there's not necessarily a, a great experience or a great product right there right now, 
the talent there are on that sort of second team, Amarius Mid, Cedric Von Prime, Tate Ratledge, Clay Webb. They have a lot of really talented guys who just need to get on the field, whereas with, with, with the secondary, there's a little bit more concern there, especially at that top-end level. That's why I thought you saw them go out and add a guy like Kendrick, go out and add a guy like Tyke Smith. So, you know, we learn a little bit more about the transfer portal every year under Kirby Smart. He has long said he's not a huge fan of it. I, I think you have to change your tone on that after what he did this offseason. But going forward, you're, you, I think you're going to continue to see something like this where every year Kirby Smart's willing to go out and add two, three, four players potentially to address some of the needs and concerns that he has. And if Ty, Tyreek Stevenson doesn't transfer away and Major Burns ends up staying, and those, and then so you only have eight, eight, eight guys transferring away, maybe there isn't Darian Kendrick here. Maybe there isn't Brandon Turnage here. So maybe that does sort of these aren't necessarily reactionary to the needs they had at the end of the 2020 season, but rather reacting to the guys that they had enter the portal on their own end. So sort of our second topic there for the night, taking a look back at the transfer portal. So you guys have a ton of questions raving in. There is a, a natural Jake Fromm, Justin Fields debate that I'm sure we will chalk up and talk about till the end of time. But if you have questions, go ahead and ask them, ask away. We led tonight talking about JT Daniels and Emory Jones. Uh, Hugh Nash, welcome in. Good to see you. Checking in on Facebook. So, ton of stuff going on out there. We're going to touch one thing really quickly here at the end uh, that sort of caught my eye on social media and use it as a larger jumping off point to talk about. Uh, Gunnar Stockton, you know, one of the memes out there, Gun- or not Gunnar Stockton, but, you know, they'd say so and so is quote unquote built different. Well, I think Gunnar Stockton actually is a, a, a different sort of cat when it comes to your traditional highly touted quarterback recruit. Uh, the Elite 11 finals are this weekend out in Los Angeles and is traditionally a place where all the young top quarterbacks showcase their skills and show off what they do and how they play. And of the, I believe, top six ranked quarterbacks in the two, four, seven sports composite rankings, Five of them will be out there. The one that will not will be Gunnar Stockton. And part of that, you know, Stockton did not participate in an Elite 11, so he just didn't get an invite out there. But it's not like he wasn't doing anything and not working out on his game. You saw him play a lot in the seven, on 17 with guys like Kojo Intui, UGA commit Denylon Morissette, and Oscar Delp. You saw him play on seven on seven tournaments at Georgia Tech in Georgia, I believe winning at Georgia Tech in his spot there with that Rayburn County team. He's still playing football. He's just not going around to these camps showcasing, strutting, and showing off for himself. I thought it was very telling when it came time to take visits. That first weekend when Georgia had all those offensive guys in there, Addison Nichols, Antwi, Delp, Branson Robinson visiting, uh, Gunnar Stockton was there. And he's not a big social media guy. We were talking with actually with our Dog Nation social media guy today, and we're like, it had to look a little bit to find a picture of Gunnar Stockton in a Georgia jersey. But Gunnar, he's not on social media a whole lot. He is actually, you know, on field, I believe he's an incredibly serious competitor, wants to win, uh, has no problem cutting loose and having fun, but is a very, very serious competitor. But away from the field, you do get the sort of impression that he's just a down-to-earth, very chill, very mellow sort of guy, a guy that a lot of guys like being around. He's just, I think, an all-around good guy to be around. People like being around him. You talk to recruits about him. They enjoy being with him in his presence. And so because of that, you you see the obvious video this week. Bear Alexander, a guy who I think many people assume is going to just end up with Texas A&M after decommitting from Georgia earlier this month. I think personally that's what's going to end up happening. But I did find it pretty interesting that Bear Alexander shows video of himself hanging out with Gunnar Stockton on uh, 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 on a lake I'll pull up the video for you guys right now. You can check it out for yourselves. 
but yeah, you see video there, Gunnar Stockton hanging out with Bear Alexander and you know, I know people are speculating, oh, is Bear going to flip Gunner? No, I, I, Gunner's going to end up at the University of Georgia. And I just find it interesting, given all the comments about Alexander and where people think he ultimately ends up, I think it says something a lot about Gunner that Gunner is still hanging out, trying to recruit a guy in Alexander that I think Georgia very much wants in this 2022 recruiting cycle. A guy who's a five-star prospect and is clearly one of the top players in the nation. And I know after the reports and people seeing what they've seen about uh, Alexander and Texas A&M, the obvious Nick Williams connection. But I think it says a lot about uh, Stockton as who he is as a person and what people think about him to where he's able to still have a very good relationship with, with Alexander and they're able to hang out on the lake sort of get to continue to know each other. I think that makes it, that makes Stockton a very clear asset to this Georgia program. And as a guy, many people are going to like and grow to like, as he continues to climb the, the sort of, and get closer and closer to the university of Georgia. I know, you know, there's a lot of hemming and hawing where you take Brock Vandergriff in one class and Gunnar Stockton in another class. Stockton has told our Jeff Sintel he's going to graduate from the University of Georgia. And so yeah, I, I tend to believe that means he's going to be a guy who's willing to stick it out and stick it around for the long haul. Because Vandergriff and Stockton, as we saw when they both played each other last year, two incredibly talented prospects. And one of them is, I think, going to end up being the starter at Georgia. And one of them is probably going to be waiting behind the other. But if you're Georgia, you feel really confident about the future of your quarterback room where you have Stockton and you have Vandergrift, two guys who I think have a very high ceiling and can continue to lead this Georgia offense in the direction we all think we're going to see it go with JT Daniels this year. So that's sort of our third topic of the night, wrapping it up on Gunnar Stockton. We talked about the transfer portal and how Georgia sort of did this past year. And then obviously talking off the top of the show about JT Daniels, Emory Jones, sort of the differences between the two and then sort of how the national media sees the two of them. So let's open it up for questions, comments. What do you guys think? Uh, this is a good one from Daniel Aldrich right away. Do you think that Pickens will play against Florida? I don't think so, Daniel. I, I think that game is scheduled for October 30th. I would look for a November return from Pickens. And while I understand why people would want to see him back out on the field for that game, that is easily Georgia's biggest SEC game this year. Georgia should be able to beat Florida without George Pickens. Uh, they have enough talent, uh, both on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball there. And so I think with George Pickens, look for that November return. I think you need a guy like Pickens on the field in the SEC championship game, the college football playoff game. Theoretically, that game against Clemson, those are the games you need Pickens for. That's the game where he is a difference maker on a field of elite athletes. But Georgia, I believe, as it stands right now, has enough at the wide receiver position to where even without George Pickens, they should still win that game. And so because of that, I don't think you rush back Pickens for that game. I know Kirby Smart uh, pointed to Devon Wilson in the 20, I believe, 18 season where he tears his ACL on a similar day in late March and is able to be cleared to return uh, in the midpoint of October. We don't sort of see Wilson later on because he didn't know the playbook. That's not the same situation with George Pickens there. So I do think it's going to be interesting to sort of see how George Pickens is brought back if he ever ends up coming back. Because again, there's a very real scenario where he also decides, hey, I'm going to rehab at Georgia, but I'm going to save myself for the NFL draft and prep on planning for there. So uh, let's see. G Bama boy, you know, this, this is a good point. Uh, Matt Corral could be the best in the SEC if he stopped turning the ball over. Uh, Matt Corral, great dual threat quarterback, 500 yards rushing last season, 29 touchdown passes in 10 games. He had uh, 14 interceptions on the uh, on the whole last year. 11 of those came in just two games. So there's two sort of ways of looking at it. When when Corral is bad, he is 
really bad and bad enough to completely cost you a game as I think he did against LSU and against Arkansas, two one-score games that Ole Miss ends up losing. But if you take those games away, 24 touchdowns, three interceptions in those other eight games. I think that the ceiling for Ole Miss and Matt Corral is really high this year, and there's someone who I think might be able to finish second there in the SEC West. So, um, Kevin Cook, I'll actually push back on Gunnar outplaying Brock. Gunnar clearly had the more talented team, had the more talented players, and I actually think it said a lot of Brock where they were down early in that game, and he brought them back and had a place to potentially tie and win the game late there. Gunnar had a big receiver uh, whose name I'm blanking on go down and miss parts of that second half. And without him out there, that Rayburn offense really sort of struggled and allowed Brock Vandegrift's Prince Avenue team to get back into the game. So I, you know, I, I know the final score was that Gunnar's team won that game, but I came away very impressed with how Brock handled himself there in the second half and how Gunnar played in the first half there as well. Uh, let's see. Um, I see a lot of people asking about, uh, Dennis, Danny, Dennis Sutton, I believe he is a pass rusher out of, uh, Maryland. I believe he's got a top three of Penn state, Alabama, and Georgia. It's going to be one to watch there. I think Georgia sees him as sort of an edge defender, a, a sort of Jack there, that Jack role that we saw Aziz or Jalari play. It's going to be a big recruitment. Uh, you know, the dead period is here now again, but we learned, I, 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 th- we will in time have learned a ton about what Georgia was able to do this month and how they were able to press kids. Obviously, Kodran Twee has his decision coming up. Brandon Adams said this morning he doesn't feel all that confident about him. We'll see how that turns out. Branson Robinson is deciding on July 21st. That's a must win if you're Georgia. He's your number one running, tar- running back target. You have to bring him in at a class. So we're going to see it pretty quickly, I think, in this next month and then August as well. How, how well Georgia did in this return to visit and, and where they ultimately end up stacking up. Obviously, you lose two five-star D commitments and Bear Alexander and Deion Bowie. Alexander, I think, is going to be a Texas A&M Aggie. We'll see about Bowie sort of opening things up there. And then you get a commitment this past Friday from Ja'Cory Thomas, uh, a guy who I think is going to play the star position for Georgia uh, out of, out of or, the Orlando area. Uh, let's see. Jordan Bowman asks, uh, who do you like better, Kentucky or Missouri? Um, I think Missouri has the more favorable schedule this year and long term I would take Missouri, but for this year, give me Kentucky. They bring back some dudes on that on that on their two lines of scrimmage there. And I think they're gonna be a team, as we've seen, they've been able to do with Georgia in recent years, really make them work. If they're able to get anything out of their passing game, I think this Kentucky team could be could be equipped to make some noise and maybe potentially finish second in the SEC East at the end of the season. Croaking 123 sums it up much better than I do. Short, Long-term Missouri, short-term Kentucky. Um, yeah, Joel Moody, I think if you're Georgia, if you can get one of Bear or Bowie back at this point, you'd absolutely take that as a win. Uh, Nigel Combs, again, I, I, this is just where college football is. It doesn't matter how good a defense is anymore. If you don't have an offense, you're not winning anything. And at Georgia, I after the LSU loss in 2019, I believe Kirby Smart fully understood it, and you kind of got to see him process it in real time in the press conference that day. But the move in bringing in Todd Munkin, bringing in JT Daniels, I think pretty clearly shows that Kirby knows this is an offensive game now. You have to win on the offensive side of the ball. That doesn't mean George is going to ignore the defense and do what they can to be one of the best defenses in the country. But they know if George is winning the SEC, going to a college football playoff, winning a national title potentially it's not because of their defense anymore it's because of their offense and what they're able to do on that side of the ball and that and the sports changed considerably since then because you think back 
to that 2017 season, Georgia and Alabama were both in the pedal game that year because of their defenses and how well they played. And college football is just a radically different sport nowadays. Um, let's see. Comments, questions. We've got a few more minutes here. Um, scrolling up a little bit. Um, keep going. Well, uh, I saw uh, somebody asked Randy Hall ask if uh, Dog Nation will be at Kojo's commitment. I will not be. I will be on vacation. Uh, no show next week, but uh, we will be back shortly after that. So, um, Joe Moody asked earlier, who is the leader to get the game one started at left tackle? Leader being the key, uh, key question or key word there. As of right now, I would say it's Xavier Trust. However, if you're asking me to make a prediction on what we see on September 4th, I think you're going to see Jamari Sawyer at left tackle and Tate Ratledge at, at right guard, sort of splitting splitting the difference where I know a lot of people want to see an Amarius Mims there at left tackle, maybe a Broderick Jones. I think the battle isn't necessarily at that left tackle spot. It's which of the two, which of Tate Ratledge and Xavier Trust have the better fall camp. If that's Ratledge, you're going to see Ratledge at right guard. You're going to see Justin Schaefer at left guard, and you're going to see Jamari Sawyer at left tackle. If it's Trust, you're going to see Trust at left tackle, Jamari Sawyer at left guard, and Justin Schaefer at right guard. Warren McClendon is locked in as the right tackle, and I think that first game, Warren Erickson is going to be your guy at the center position. But So to answer the sort of left tackle position, going into it, I will probably say it is trust, but if you ask me who the guy is, who, who what Georgia's five-man offensive line combination is for that September 4th game against Clemson, I will go Jamari Sawyer at left tackle, Justin Schaefer at left guard, Warren Erickson at center, right guard Tate Ratledge, right tackle Warren McClendon. And, and I've said before as well, whatever starting lineup Georgia has that game one against Clemson, I guarantee you come the end of the season, that SEC championship game, in my opinion, against Alabama, that is going to be a different offensive line than what you see against Clemson. I think Georgia needs to take the entire season and figure out and know the answer to this question. Who are their five best offensive linemen going into that Alabama game? They have to have that answered by that point in time because Alabama a season ago, first Graves Mac Jones was and Devontae Smith and, and Najee Harris. That offensive line was incredible last season. And if you go back to the Alabama and Tennessee weeks, which were back-to-back for Georgia – you know, everyone talked a lot and hyped up that Tennessee offensive line. You could tell the difference in how Kirby Smart saw those two offensive lines and the way they talked about him. And Kirby was, even before playing that Alabama offensive line, which had Alex Leatherwood go in the first round, Landry Dickerson would have gone in the first round had it not been for the injury concerns. And then they bring back arguably the most talented offensive lineman in Evan Neal, who is just an absolute monster. Uh, that offensive line is incredibly was incredibly good, and I think you've seen in college football. Well, yeah, you need the quarterback. You also need a dominant offensive line as well that is able to both keep and protect your quarterback upright. Uh, let's see if we can get one more good question here. Um, Jason Brian Lee, I like yours. We might end with that one. We'll give people a few more seconds here to weigh in. This is Connor in coverage answering questions sort of about Georgia football if you have them. Ask them away. Appreciate the compliment, Steve Rogers. Um, let's see. Uh, if there's not, we're going to go to uh, Jason Brian Lee's question. All right. We're going to do that. 
what is your take on the running back depth chart? I think Milton will get a lot of work this season. I know that's what a lot of people want to see. I, I think in terms of popularity, there might not be a more popular player on Georgia's roster right now than Kendall Milton. But Demir White is still a really good player. And having Kendall Milton as a backup running back, like that, that's a luxury of all luxuries. Like Kendall Milton would be a starting running back on you know, 120, 115 college football teams this season. So to have him you know, as, I think, your real second, second string running back is an absolute luxury. I think Samir White is going to have a big season. You know, you, he showed at times last year, especially later on in the season, he's got some of that wiggle again. You see the bigger, the, you know, obviously didn't go for a lot of yards against Cincinnati, but he was starting to make defenders miss. I think he got confident in that knee again towards the end of the season, had some big games against Missouri there at the end of the season, Kentucky. You know, he had the big run against Florida, though that may have been more scheme than pure brilliance from Zamir. But Zamir is absolutely going to be a player for this Georgia team. And while Milton might have the, the bigger upside, maybe having those two guys as battering rams, keeping them both fresh to where they can both blow over guys over the course of the game, I think is going to be really key. And then James Cook, uh, some people have already sort of felt this way, but he's an entirely different running back where I think you're going to look to see Georgia use him in ways where you get him and Kendall Milton on the field, you get him and Samir White on the field. Because how they use James Cook this season, I just wrote a story on this in Dog Nation about an hour ago, I think it's going to be really telling for the Georgia offense in terms of how willing they are to get creative with other players or with other players on the field. Because I think James can unlock a lot of things for this Georgia offense simply because of his speed. He is, in my opinion, the second fastest player on this offense behind Arian Smith. So if you're using him as a running back on sort of jet sweeps, you're using him as a wide receiver. You saw last year against Alabama the touchdown pass he had over Christian Harris, who might be pound for pound the best player in the SEC this season. I think how they use James Cook is going to be really interesting. So much so that it makes a guy, Kenny McIntosh, who you know was huge in that final drive in the Peach Bowl against Cincinnati, afterthought might be too strong of a word, but uh, certainly similar to Milton, a luxury. You know, to have Penny Milton and Kenny McIntosh be your second string power duo, that's an incredible luxury to have. Georgia's going to find a way to get all of those guys involved. Obviously, it'll be difficult keeping them all of them as happy as they can be, but I, I think this year we're going to see Zamir, Kendall Milton, and James Cook all make impact on this game. Uh, Nigel Combs, do you think we get to a 1,000 yards receiver this year? P-Boy, P-Bamber Boy has my answer on this. Burton could get to a 1,000. I think he's the guy, if you're Georgia, you're looking to get him to a 1,000 yards receiving. Uh, you probably need him to to sort of answer some of these recruiting questions at the wide receiver position. Uh, and I know I said we would do one last question, but uh, I saw Randy Hall ask how much does Brock Bowers play. It'll be interesting to see how they get him involved. I don't think he'll be involved a ton at the beginning of the season, but as the season goes on, he gets more comfortable in a college scheme. Uh, he, he brings something similar to James Cook and Arian Smith. He brings something different to this Georgia offense. And I think Todd Munkin is going to look to utilize those guys as much as he can this coming season. So with that, that will probably be it for us tonight. Uh, again, my name is Connor Riley. We do this every Tuesday, except next Tuesday when I'm on vacation. Uh, talking the latest in Georgia football. We were on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, uh, Twitch tonight. First time we've gone four platforms in a while. So audience has been great. Thank you guys so much. We do have this up as a podcast. It'll be up early Wednesday morning for you guys for your commutes. You can get that on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts, SoundCloud. And then, obviously, we're still going to have a ton of content rolling from Dog Nation this week. Mike Griffith has just had two Dynamite interviews with Paul Feinbaum. Uh, Brandon Adams is going to be talking the latest Georgia news. Jeff Sintel is going to keep you guys covered and updated 
on recruiting as things slow down a little bit with no visits, but they're going to pick back up again in full steam in later July. So, it, it, you know, football is going to be here sooner rather than later. We're now officially less than 10 weeks away from the start of the season. Make sure you guys stay tuned into Dog Nation. Thank you guys so much for spending some time with me tonight. Hopefully you guys keep coming back to this and we keep getting to put on a great show. But thank you guys for tuning in tonight. My name is Connor Riley. This has been Connor and Coverage.